Hello, good morning. Welcome to Joy News Desk. We're coming to you live from our studios in Kokomlimli. We're on DTT because we're free to wear on DSTV channel 421 and Go TV channel 125. Coming up this morning, government on its knees as labor unions reject 15% increment in base pay for the 2024 working year. Details as negotiations resume today with both parties praying for an amicable resolution. Also part of the country still experiencing power cuts following energy minister's announcement last week that the fate of the country lies in the hands of WAPCO. We have details of that of the fact that we may be going back to Jumso for you. And review LI2462 to ensure it aligns with the principles of sustainable development and to provide adequate protection of the country's natural resources. That's a call from the Dangerous Development Associations of Parliament. We have more for you on this. Details of all of these plus business coming up shortly. Government is on its knees as labor unions reject 15% increment in base pay for the 2024 working year. The unions are asking government to increase their base pay by at least 60% down from the initial request in excess of 70%. With less than 48 hours to the presentation of the 2024 budget, government is hopeful it will get a deal with the unions today. Deputy Secretary General of the Trade Union Congress, Joshua Ansan, says the labor unions will continue to reject government's offer if it is not considerate. They are hopeful, however, of reaching an amicable agreement with government. I've been joined via Zoom by uh, Ms. Orson Gami. He's the labor consultant and former employment minister. I'm grateful for your time, Mr. Gami. Hello, Mr. Gami. Yes, Aisha, thank you. What, what's your reading into what has transpired so far between labor unions and government over their demand for a 15% increment in base pay? Thank you once again. Well, I may not want to call it demand. I think it's a proposal both of them have tabled. And uh, when proposals are tabled, the law, which is a practice, and joins both parties to make every reasonable effort to reach agreement. I think that is what they are trying to do. And uh, I think that if they can continue on that tangent, they should be able to reach agreement. The labor unions say uh, it will reject any offer if it's not considerable. But the 60% proposal, I mean, is it too much to ask for? Well, like I said from the beginning, this is a proposal. It may, it may sound a little high in the face of Ghana's adversity today, but the truth is that we have a system ongoing where we pay people for putting in appearance, not because of productivity. Uh, so therefore, 
um, I think that is only a fair reflection of what the system, what we have planted in our DNA in this country. We don't, we don't have good pay system. And so any opportunity labor will get, they will have to go for the highest speed possible. And so that's what they've done. It's for the employer to surrender by giving them the detailed information about the economy and what they intend doing before even they attempt to go to parliament uh, tomorrow to read the budget. They must lay out, according to the law and practice, what exactly the picture is to labor, as was done by previous governments before. Uh, if, if they can do that, I think they will be able to reach agreement. Something reasonable that both of them can live with. So this is a clear picture of what is happening right now. Government says that, I mean, we're having issues with uh, the economy, and so we are tight, our hands are tight. Now, uh, labor unions also say that, I mean, everything has skyrocketed, uh, I mean, in the last few years. And so your salary uh, cannot really buy the things that you used to buy because they have, the prices have quadrupled. So these two people are on the negotiation uh, table. What should be the posture of both parties? Well, the foremost is for the employer called government. We don't want to call government political. Government as employer must demonstrate that they are, uh, are very serious people. They would like to cut down costs, and they must. it's a demonstrable thing. It's not going to be a figure of speech. They have to demonstrate to organized labor that they seriously would like to consider cutting down costs in this area, this area, this area, and they will hold them to account for it because they will, they will go to parliament tomorrow to read the budget, and they will have to show that in the budget so that both parties can have assurance that the mess up in the economy will not be, repeat, be repeated next year and going, going beyond that. And so it's for the employer in particular coming out of Section 97 to share necessary information which is relevant for the negotiation and give labor the commitment that they will be held accountable, they will not overspend, and therefore mess up the economy and create further problems for them again. I think that should be there because labor uh, is not the one in charge. And because we don't have a planned economy management in, in Ghana, uh, obviously they will need a lot more information so they can, they can cooperate with, with, with the employer, which is government, uh, to ensure that we do not unbalance ourselves. Uh, that's what it is. What's your own expectation of the finance minister as he presents a budget tomorrow, having followed all the labor agitations, uh, having to do with pay rise, conditions of service, and even the unemployment rates as we speak? What, what would you expect in the budget as far as the labor front is concerned? Well, honestly, if they had talked to some of us, already have run into this kind of mess we are in. What they should have done is to engage labor long, long time. But it's not late. They can spend the whole day today into midnight and make sure that they lay bare without any excuse. Everything 
including the grants they get, including the income they will get from our tax system, including how much you get from other sources, everything bear on the table. And then how the cost structure will be should be brought bare onto the table. No excuse whatsoever. When they know that you are honest and what you are saying is true, as was done before in 2015, Labour will respond positively. And they may even not want to take anything at all. Provided the people who are the servants of the state, because we, I think we have raised the bar of governance to another level in, in, in Ghana, which is out of, out of the norm. The government officials are the servants of the state. They are not to lord it over the people. They are to provide high quality leadership. And therefore, they must provide every information, all necessary information, to enable both parties to collaborate with each other, and they will support them. But when they know that you want to spend and go overboard, it means you, you, you turn the economy into, into something else. And so if they can do that, you'll be surprised that Labour will not even want to take a personal. It was done in 2015. I'm grateful for your time. Austin Game is labor consultant and also former uh, employment and labor relations minister. Three days after two brothers were allegedly shot and killed by a forestry commission task force at a community mining site in Infante, the divisional office of the commission in the area remains shut. The youth of Park in the Ahafua North South East District and the family of two murdered brothers have issued a four-day ultimatum threatening retaliation if justice is not served. But Emmanuel Bright Koko, who visited the area, reports residents of Infante fear the tax force would return. <laughs> A saddened mother, a sister, left in excruciating pain.
ba na nakuto be ya boade amade nchai ni adie bia ya me papa de ewu mi ashe mishmo wa kokwa man tenkwa oha man me ma mo ahode His Excellency, the President of the Republic of Ghana, in 2016, pledged to ensure free senior high school education for every Ghanaian child. Under the leadership of the President and the Sector Minister, Honorable Dr. Yao Ose Inuchum, the first year enrollment has risen from 308,000 in 2016 to over 500,000 students being enrolled each year under the policy, making over 1.6 million children enrolled under the policy as of 2022. The Transformation Agenda series on education exposes you to the varied and various achievements government in the area of education, delving into the policies, interventions, and infrastructure development that has occurred under the leadership of the president. Be my guest this and every Tuesday as we bring you documentaries from across the 16 regions of Ghana on Joy News between 6.30 p.m. and 7 o'clock p.m. Transformation Agenda Series on Education, Reimagining Education for National Development. Your favorite TV game show, Step Up, is back with another amazing season. This time, we are stepping up with Syntex Tank. Step up with Syntex Tank. We'll see contestants answer questions of your choice and win over 6,000 Ghana CDs cash prize weekly and other products from our sponsors. This season, viewers at home should watch out for the Syntex Tank question of the week. Be the first to answer correctly via WhatsApp or send SMS to 050-833-8888 and win incredible prizes. The person who answers most of the weekly questions correctly and fastest gets a 65-inch Samsung TV at the end of the season. Step up with Syntex Tank, showing on Joy Prime every Sunday, 7.30 p.m. Sponsored by Bell Ice, MTN Momo, Angel Cola, powered by Syntex Tank. Joy Prime, your ultimate experience. Welcome back to Journey's Desk. Apologies for that breaking sound. Let's get on to other stories. We'll be bringing you that story uh, later on in the bulletin. But parts of the country are still experiencing power cuts. It follows the Energy Minister's announcement last week that our fate 
actually depends on uh, the West Africa gas pipeline to enable us get gas. There has been a heavy reliance on gas as the cheapest in fueling the country's power generation plants. Executive Director of the Africa Center for Energy Policy, Asa Benjamin Boachi, says our inability to pay WAPCO may take the country back to darkness. He joins me via Zoom for more on this. Uh, Mr. Membwachi, I'm grateful for your time this morning. Last week, the energy minister admitted that our uh, continuous supply of power will definitely be dependent on government's ability to pay WAPCO to supply gas. As at yesterday, a good part of the country were still in darkness. Is that an indication that we are unable to pay WAPCO? for gas supply. What's the reality, Mr. Boache? Um, I, I think, I mean, for WAPCO situation, it's not a problem as of today. Um, WAPCO is transmitting at full capacity. Um, so we're doing today around 100 mm scuff of gas. So the problem today is not gas. Uh, we don't know if people have power uh, challenges. It may not be coming from uh, gas transmission uh, at this point. But the bigger question is, how long are we going to be enduring this? And how many times would we have to explain uh, to the people that one supplier or the other uh, you know, has withheld supply and therefore we're not able to um, send power to homes and businesses? And that, for me, is the bigger uh, challenge for us to deal with. And it comes back to ensuring that power generated uh, can be sold. Bembwachi is the executive director of ASEP. Um, hello, Mr. Bwachi. We're having a bit of a connection problem. Uh, he'll be uh, getting back online to tell us more about this. Mr. Bwachi, are you back? Right. I think uh, yes. the power yes. went off. I lost you briefly. The power yes, went off. Surprisingly, the power went off. You're, <laughs> you're <laughs> interesting. All right. So, mm. so you were making yeah, so you were making the point. We need to be able to address these recurrent problems to ensure that power generated can actually be sold and money recovered to pay the value chain. At all times, we need companies to do the transmission of gas, and all of them would want to shut down or demand that money is paid. Um, so the problem is not WAPCO. The problem is not paying WAPCO. And therefore, if we know what the problem is, then we need to address uh, those problems. What I even fear is the state of the state enterprises or institutions like Gridco and VRA, who, you know, because they are state entities, may be suffering and not be able to come up with the real situation that helps all of us to address their challenges because they cannot shut down unless the system collapses as we have seen in some cases from gridco uh, they will keep generating and uh, or transmitting but that comes at a huge burden uh, to those institutions and they may at some point not be able to uh, deliver the service that they're supposed to deliver uh, to the Ghanaian people we need to watch that is it a hopeless situation uh, mr boache I wouldn't say hopeless, but it's a crisis situation, um, you know, to have a power sector that cannot pay 70% of its bills. Uh, that is really a difficult uh, challenge. So government has to, 
they always intervene with hard currencies that could have gone into development. But simply because we cannot generate power and sell power and make money, government has to sacrifice the budget uh, to address the under-recoveries in the energy sector. And we need to reverse that. How, how did we get here, Mr. Boache? I mean, I think we have been um, explaining the problems and they keep deepening and worsening. Um, we need to get to that point where we, we map out the problems. We haven't comprehensively mapped out the problems uh, to be able to address them. And even where plans exist, how do we implement those plans to ensure that you know we're able to deliver uh, power to, to, to the people? And those are the challenges. So it's essentially for me, it's financial and managerial, which has escalated into technical uh, and, 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 and if we have to be tough on ourselves to deal with these problems, I mean, what should we be doing at this moment? I think at this moment, I mean, we need to get ECG fixed as quickly as possible. Um, we cannot turn it into business as usual, that they cannot collect revenues, and it is fine. Everybody's happy with it. Um, regardless of how much adjustment you do to the tariff, if the structures to recover revenues are not tight enough or they are not stringent enough, uh, we're still not going to make money. And you can see that even though we have made about 100% adjustment to the tariff, our revenue requirement has actually declined uh, you know, over time, which is a signal that we need to uh, uh, fix the management side of things and fix the financial side of things for um, the sector to function. We don't need ministers explaining uh, to us what the problem is all the time when it's a system that is commercially viable and supposed to, uh, you know, generate returns, uh, revenues, and pay the value chain. So if the problem is not fixed within the next weeks, we, we're going to celebrate uh, Christmas in darkness? I'm not sure government will let that happen. Um, I think they would do everything to keep the light on. And that, for me, is even the worry, that we're trying our best to sustain inefficiency uh, because government will sacrifice schools, sacrifice roads, sacrifice water, uh, you know, projects and pay under recoveries. We have the light on. And that for me is really dangerous. We need development. And the way we develop is to ensure that people who are consuming the power are paid for the power and not the budget of the country. But we are but paying so much money, Mr. Boachi, and we are still sleeping in darkness. Well, the reality is that we are not recovering that money. Um, so what so it's going into individual <laughs> pockets? Only a few people are paying, um, and that also has its own management issues. What is collected has management issues. We are, first, we're not collecting enough, and even what is collected has management problems uh, with it. So we need to fix those uh, important uh, problems for us to be able to ensure that we have a power system that don't keep us talking the way we are doing. Is it only an ECG problem? It's not only an ECG problem, but they sit at a position where they collect revenues to pay everybody. So if they suffer or they are not able to perform, it affects everybody else um, in their value chain. So that is how... 
I suspect the lights have gone off again, but Ben Boache is executive director of ASEP. He's been trying to explain to us what the problems are with our power supply and the reason if we do not tighten our belts and actually fix the problems, we may go back to darkness. I'm grateful for your time. Uh, are you back? Uh, all right. Thank you so much, uh, Mr. Bomboache, for uh, those explanations. Now, let's get on to other stories. The director of the Center for Coastal Management at the University of Cape Coast, Professor Dennis Walanyo Aheto, has highlighted the need for Ghana and Africa as a whole to embrace a blue economy. He says since the ocean covers almost 70% of the Earth's surface, it is too large a resource to be ignored and that Ghana must take advantage of the fact that the country is one of the 38 coastal countries in Africa and invest in the blue economy. Professor Heto was speaking at his inaugural lecture on the topic, our oceans securing our common future through transformative research. It's the fact that if you take the globe, the surface of the earth, 70% is covered by water and 30% covered by just land. We live on land, but yet we are not concerned about the sea, the river bodies, our, um, our lakes, our rivers, and so on. The question is why? I think this is a question that should be one of our take-home messages from this lecture. Asking ourselves that we live in a population We don't live in the sea. Nobody lives in the sea, at least for now. Of course, there are attempts to create um, some recreational cause uh, of the enormous So why don't we um, take care of our oceans uh, because of the enormous opportunities it gives to us? Uh, coastal management is still um, something that uh, marine and uh, coastal uh, development issues are really uh, still not on the mind of academia and even government uh, people. Uh, so there's still a lot of work we have to do to be able to um, bring that to the attention of policy makers to uh, decision makers in our universities and to really, so it's still in a very nascent growing stage. So why are oceans our common future? Uh, I already said that the oceans cover 70% of our, our earth. Our oceans are common future. But Mr. Chairman, permit me to just explain what a common future means. Uh, the term our common future was first introduced or mentioned by the report of the World Commission on Environment and Development. So I did not coin it. But the Brutland Report, 1987. 
a targeted multilateralism and interdependence of nations in the search for sustainable path. The report recognized that human resource development could lead to poverty reduction, gender equity, wealth redistribution. And these, in the report, the report noted was crucial for formulating strategies for environmental conservation. And it also recognized that environmental limits to economic growth in industrial and industrialized societies existed, claiming that poverty reduces sustainability. Poverty reduces sustainability and accelerates environmental pressures, creating a need for balancing between economy and ecology. In my context in this inaugural lecture, I just want us to relive that vision in that report because it has since been thrown overboard. Climate change poses a significant threat to crop production in Ghana, creating conditions that enable foreign pests to thrive and cause extensive damage to agricultural yields. To address this challenge, the Plant Protection and Regulatory Service Directorate under the Ministry of Food and Agriculture, in partnership with Accelerating Impact of Climate Research for Africa, has established an early warning and rapid response system to effectively manage and control the spread of these foreign pests. There's more in this report. Agricultural production has greatly changed over the years due to global warming. With foreign pests adapting swiftly to the changing climate, resulting in severe destruction of agricultural yields. The invasion of the fall army worm. Addressing this issue, Head of Plant Pathology at the Plant Protection and Regulatory Service Directorate, Awudu Amadou Galba, noted that the establishment of this early warning and rapid response system is poised to enhance the country's ability to combat this pest effectively. Just around 2016, we didn't have what we call fall army worm in the country. Fall army worm is not from Ghana, it's an invasive, but now it's with us. It's as a result of climate change. And it's just not for Lamiwem. We have several others. I, I think very soon, very soon, we, we are hearing of a new pest that has been identified. Very soon we are expecting that communication to come from CSIR. So if we have this collaboration, you see that it will be a good way for us to go. Sometimes we wouldn't have to wait for long. When the alert is there, we quickly get the information and then we we'll start working on the ground. So just after the signing ceremony today, we expect that by the first week of December, we should have the implementation of this MOU into force where we can start working together. Director of the Biotechnological and Nuclear Agricultural Research Institute, Dr. Michael Osai, indicated that this framework would enable the country to take proactive steps in tackling this pest. We don't want to be taken by surprise by any new introduction um, what is the, the freshest on our mind is the fall worm. 
when it broke, we were taken by surprise. Before we could say Jack, it was all over the country. Farmers were crying, they were losing, and other things. So we don't want to be taken by surprise anymore. So we are putting in place what we call an early warning and rapid response system. Basically, to just put in place mechanisms where um, before or as soon as a pest is introduced or becomes a major problem in the county, we know. Then we can take quick action. We already may have developed response mechanisms or tools that are ready for taking action against those pests. So as soon as we detect it, we, we move into action and make sure that we are able to control it. Other countries have this in place, so they are not taken by surprise. And if there are any new introductions, they are able to deal with them immediately. The accelerating impact for climate research for Africa signed an MOU with 11 partner institutions for the development of the framework of the early warning and rapid response system for pests and diseases, as Dan Kramer's reports for Joy News. Three days after two brothers were allegedly shot and killed by a forestry commission tax force at a community mining site in Mfante, the divisional office of the commission in the area remains shut. The youth of Pakukrum in the Hafano Southeast District and the family of the two murdered brothers have issued a four-day ultimatum threatening retaliation if justice is not served. But Emmanuel Bright Kwaku, who visited the area, reports residents of Mfante fear the tax force would return. <laughs> a saddened mother, a sister left in excruciating pain. <laughs> Wales continue to emanate from the home of Abdul Samed Razak, 35, and Hashmil Usman, 25, after the two were allegedly shot dead by security tax force of the Forestry Commission at a mining site. The family is in pain. You've killed a human like animal. The two were protecting a mining site at Infante, a suburb in the Ahafuano North Municipality, when a security tax force besieged them in a swoop. So we understand this is the very spot one of the deceased um, was laid when he was shot by the security tax force um, right here at um, Infante. As you can see behind me, that's some equipment that were bent by the security tax force when they came here. I haven't really cited much of operations happening, but the few people we found around tell us um, today there haven't been any working by the miners. The forestry officer drew a line on the ground. That we shouldn't cross but one of the deceased did not heed and went ahead to cross it that's when they started shooting him they shot severally, but he survived them, so they surrounded him and hit his neck with the backstock of their gun. The other was shot from behind through his skull. 
Some miners at the site sustained various injuries, with four critically wounded. In 2021, the Ministry of Lands and Natural Resources commissioned a community mining scheme to be operated by the Enso Group of Companies. So this is the junction leading to the two mining sites. Um, on my left is a route to the Enso Group of Companies mining site under the Infante Community Mining Scheme. And this is also another route leading to where the incident happened. The miners, however, claim both sites are under the community mining scheme. But there are fears of a possible return of the tax force to comb the community. Yes, because gunshots, you know, the streets from site or more incidents may happen or site or you know, or more from site or no more straight to Akwesiasi. We are scared because they might come back. Back at Pokukrum, there is seeming tension as families of the deceased and the youth threaten to avenge the killing. After burying them, we demand justice within four days. If it doesn't happen soon, we will retaliate. He left behind five children who is going to take care of them. If the laws are working, it must work for us too, else forestry commission officers will not operate in this constituency. Officers of the forestry division in the area are under lock and key following the threats. That's uh, one of the checkpoints here um, for the forestry commission. And when we came, um, the occupant here, or the one who is guarding this particular place, is locking down um, the, this particular checkpoint. He tells me he fears that um, the miners can come around and then attack him, and that's why he's locking um, this particular facility. We understand that throughout the day, um, officers here at the forestry division of um, Mankranso have not been at post today. Um, they've locked the offices and nobody came to work today. We understand the checkpoints along um, this particular stretch too. The officers who were supposed to be at post were also not around. Meanwhile, the Ashanti Regional Police Command is probing circumstances leading to the gun attack and consequent death of the two. For Joy News, my name is Emmanuel Bright Quickly. The absence of a jury forced the Kumasi High Court to adjourn hearing of a case in which a police inspector is standing trial over the murder of his girlfriend at a doom in Kumasi. Inspector Ahmed Chumesi of the Police Special Weapons and Tactics Unit is accused of shooting his girlfriend Victoria Dapa, also known as Majua, multiple times at close range with service rifle on April 20 this year. But the seven-member jury abandoned the court over unpaid allegations 
allowances since last year. Ohem Interior of our security desk was in court reports the court granted a request by a prosecution to allow the Ghana Institute of Languages transcribe a tree audio evidence on a pen drive tendered in court. Prosecution, led by Principal State Attorney Ernest Aye, told the court, presided by her lady, Justice Rosemary Bautusu, to grant prosecution's request to transcribe an audio evidence submitted to the court on a pen drive. The court, presided by her lady, Justice Rosemary Bautusu, granted prosecution's request for the Ghana Institute of Languages to transcribe the audio evidence into English. The court, however, adjourned certain to December 4, 2023. Relatives of Victoria Dapa, also known as Majwa, were, however, incensed by a decision of the prison service to use an alternative route to transport Inspector Ahmed Chumesi, also known as Tycoon, to the prisons instead of the normal route they know. I don't know why they, they always play cast hide, hide and see to us. Because hide and see makes people annoyed. You see, every day when we came to court, they bring a Takum in front of the door. But today we saw Takum passing by uh, outside the court. We didn't know how they escaped Takum from the court. That's why you see noise around all the families and the sympathizers are, are very annoyed. And at the same time, we are telling the government to, you know, help the jewel to uh, do what they, what they want so that they can return to court and help the needy. From Kumasi, for Joy News, Ohim Interior reporting. We're still live on Joy News. That's we're coming to you from our studios in Kokum Lemle. We are also free to wear on DTT. Let's take a break. When we return, we'll bring you business. Joel Nete, and I bring you greetings from the Old Achimotan Association, of which I'm the president. I'm inviting you to Achimota Speaks, which is a platform created by the Old Achimotan Association 
but indeed a platform where all Ghanaians living everywhere can have a conversation around the most critical things that matter to us as a people. The next Achimoto Speaks event, which holds on Thursday the 16th of November at the British Council Hall, is under the theme Ghana, a country in crisis, defining a new economic direction. Our keynote speaker is Professor Yaonyaku of the New York University. Professor Nyako is a distinguished economist and brings to this conversation both an international and, of course, locally relevant perspective. On the panel with him will be Pishigulana Alasanandani, the former CEO of Stambik Bank. We also have Mr. Kofifin of Petro Trust, and we also have Mr. Frankedu, a former CEO of Cowbank. This conversation will be moderated by Accra Belamundi, and we are poised to have a very serious conversation, not just about our past, and indeed not about our current situation as a country, but maybe even more importantly, where we need to be going into the future if we want to change our fortunes. Like I said, this is a platform that invites all Ghanaians who care about Ghana. So regardless of what school you went to, regardless of where you are in the economy, please come, let's have this conversation. It's at the British Council Hall on Thursday, the 16th of November, and it starts at 6 p.m. sharp. So please come at 5 o'clock, come meet, come greet, come network, and let's start this conversation at 6 p.m. sharp. I look forward to seeing you there. that honors its heroes is worth dying for. After months of rigorous contests for recognition in the regions and districts, the maiden edition of the Ghana Health Service Excellence Awards 2023, the grand finale comes off at the Grand Arena, Accra International Conference Center. Join us, celebrate, and honor our hardworking health professionals. Date, November 29, 2023. Our special guest of honor, Her Excellency, Mrs. Rebecca Akufuado, First Lady, Republic of Ghana. From 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., there'll be an exhibition, free health screening, blood donation, and public lectures. 6 p.m., arrival in style. And at 7 p.m., the main awards event begins. For sponsorship, contact 0244-125-314 or 0543 726-406 Ghana Health Service Excellence Awards Celebrating our heroes Our lifeline Hi, good morning. Welcome to business. My name is Daryl Kwao. The University of Ghana Business School says it will continue to provide quality business education through various partnerships. According to the Dean, Professor Justice Baole, the school would engage various key stakeholders within the economy in its quest to bridge the academia industry gap. You're speaking at the Access Pensions Young Scholars Fellowship Award Ceremony. The UGBS Access Pension Scholarship is a scheme which seeks to provide financial support to needy and brilliant regular main campus students of the University of Ghana Business School. Professor Justice Bowley called for more support from corporate entities. The program 
a promise of 200,000 Ghana cities annually to support needy but brilliant students. Madam Chair, I'm happy to um, inform you and the gathering that there was a very, very elaborate process to select the students who have become our first cohort of the Aziz Pension Scholars, Young Scholars Fellowship Program. Vice Chancellor of the University of Ghana, Nana Abba Apia Amfu, tried the scholars to be an epitome of excellence. These scholars will go on to contribute to society, drive economic growth, and propel positive change. They are the embodiment of hope for a better and more inclusive world. As we outdoor this partnership today, we also extend an invitation to other corporate institutions to support this noble endeavor. This is an opportunity for all of us as members of the corporate community to step forward and demonstrate our commitment to extend quality education to underprivileged students. Board Chair of Access Pensions, Ernest Abibu, pledged to expand the project to other universities. The Access Young Scholars Fellowship Program, born out of our ethos of community service, represents our long-term com commitment to directing a significant proportion of our CSR budget, corporate social responsibility budget, towards tertiary education. We hope to expand this program to other faculties and universities in the coming years as the Lord blesses us with more resources. Now, women entrepreneurs have been entreated to be heavy on bookkeeping to attract some foreign investment. According to Project Officer for the International Trade Center, Theresa Ayesu, this is key in making accurate budgeting possible and enabling proper reporting uh, to investors. She spoke to Joy Business at the opening ceremony of the Investor Marketplace Finance Forum. Most often it's about um, stereotyping, um, also with our little uh, background searches we did. We also realized that um, it is not really um, a challenge uh, which probably they are facing with the financial institutions, but we also realize that some of them do not have good bookkeeping systems because um, normally when you want to access any form of funding, uh, the financiers look out for a lot of things, whether to, to see whether you have like good, uh, good bookkeeping systems and then uh, also some look out for um, your business plan, um, your financial plan, off-taking plan, and stuff like that. So um, we've actually started working uh, with most of these women. Um, some of them, this is actually their first time of being uh, in an auditorium with all of us, right? Uh, this is based on the fact that we have some people who are actually beneficiaries of the United Kingdom trade partnership project and then we also decided to uh, make it um, a nationwide project so that other people could actually benefit from this. All right and that's all for business and news continues after this break.
PJA, PAV and Sir Journalist of the Year for this 27th edition of the awards, Erastus Asare Donko of the Multimedia Group. Ladies and gentlemen, let's hear it for him again. Stand up, stand up, stand up. Erastus Asare Donko of the Multimedia Group. I can't hear the applause. Let's keep it going. Let's keep it going. Let's keep it going. Erastus Asari Donko, PAV and Sir GJA Journalist of the Year, braving through the odds is the most comprehensive piece of work so far on the Galamse Menace. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the gentleman of the moment one more time. Let's hear it for him. Welcome back. Some Libyan returnees from the Bono region still have the desire to go back to the desert nation. The Bono youth went through irregular migration to Libya in search of greener pastures but returned to Ghana for various reasons. However, most of the youth in an exclusive interaction with Joy News declared their intention to travel back to Libya for better living conditions. According to them, the early economic hardship that forced them to travel through the desert to Libya has now become worse, a more compelling reason to go back to the desert. The youth say they are ready to embark on the harrowing journey through the desert to Libya, although there are stability issues in that country. <laughs> I was a farmer in Ghana, but things were hard for me. That is why I went to Libya. I was shot in the hand whilst on the way to work. So I came back to Ghana. I cultivated yam on large scale when I was in Ghana, but I could not build a house. I built this house when I was in Libya. If I had money, I would have gone back. Working and getting paid in Libya is far better than Ghana. 
You can be the strongest person in Ghana, but you are paid a peanut. With the current hardship in Ghana, I am ready to spend 7,000 to 8,000 Ghana cities to go back to Libya and continue to Italy. We had a poultry farm here in Ghana, but due to the imported chicken, our business collapsed. The cost of feed and drugs for the birds also became unbearable. So, I decided to travel to Libya and see if life will get better. There's much liberty in Ghana, but working in Libya is far better. If the opportunity comes, I will go there again because the living condition has not changed here. It has gone from bad to worse. Nesta Kafui Ajuma reporting for Joy News. That's how we wrap up the bulletin this morning. My name is Aisha Ibrahim. You can log on to myjohnline.com. There's more of the news and updates of all the developing stories. My name is Aisha Ibrahim. See you again at 12.